Eagles Entertainment. With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Friend. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and the college football season is over and done with. Georgia wins handily over TCU this past Monday night. It was 38-7 at halftime. It was rarely close in this game, but we are here to break it down. Several takeaways, and we're going to start things off with our on-the-clock segment where Gabriella DiGiovanni joins us once again uh, to host a debate segment between Dane Brugler and I, where this week we're going to talk through the draft status for both Max Duggan from TCU and Stetson Bennett from Georgia, the two quarterbacks in Monday night's college football title game. We'll talk through that at the top of the show before we transition to Saturday scouting, where Dane and I are going to continue our breakdown of the championship game, our big takeaways there. We're going to talk through the draft order, which is now cemented through the first 18 picks for this April, and some underclassmen news as well from one of the big programs, one of the Blue Bloods in college football. As always, be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question or a mock draft, anything about a specific prospect or anything that having to do with the NFL draft, leave it there. We'll answer it here on an upcoming episode. That said, let's kick things off here to start Start talking about this national title game. It's time now to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, we're going to start the show off this week once again with On the Clock as I welcome in Gabriella DiGiovanni and Dane Brugler. And guys, uh, the college football season is over, like I said at the top of the show. And uh, we have our final On the Clock segment here for the 2022 college football season. And uh, Ella, you can introduce the topic for us. What are we discussing here today coming off this national title game on Monday night? Very interesting national title game. Uh, the semifinals did not disappoint the national championship. Yeah. Of course, it was a little it, it, different. I think it's a word. I don't know how many people are saying interesting uh, off of that <laughs> game on Monday night, but credit to you for your, for using it. Elle is a nice person. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to just put the semifinals behind me and move on with my That's life. Right. Okay. Um, but in light of the national championship game, we saw two quarterbacks go head to head who we may see drafted up here in April. So I want you guys to debate who you think will be drafted first TCU's Max Duggan or Georgia's Stetson Bennett. So uh, I'm going to go first here in this one. And you know, I went back and forth here because I think you have to really delineate, uh, you know, what is what is a, the difference between a player who's going to get drafted earlier versus like who's a better college player. Right. And I think at the end of the day, uh, you would say, yeah, like Stetson Bennett, if we're playing a college football game tomorrow, if we're if, if the Georgia Bulldogs, they win that game last night, they've got another game next week. Who would you rather have? I'd rather have Stetson Bennett quarterbacking the team. But if we're talking about the NFL draft and that, the, the big question is not what have you done, but what are you going to be three, four, five, six years from now? I think you know, both guys are probably in the same tier. And uh, Dane, tell me if you disagree, but I think both guys are probably in the same tier in terms of, yeah, we're probably talking about them, uh, you know, day three, you know, in that kind of discussion with both Max Duggan and Stetson Bennett. But I think the age plays a big factor, uh, you know, and Max Duggan, um, you know, he's he went through a normal pre-draft uh, college football cycle from an, from an age standpoint, whereas Stetson Bennett was, you know, started at Georgia as a walk-on, then transferred, went junior college, ended up coming back. Um, he will be, what, a, a 25, 26-year-old rookie. Uh, and I think yeah. that that is something that will be really tough for some teams to be able to move past. And so if I had to guess, 
my my money would be on Max Duggan getting drafted earlier than Stetson Bennett. Um, I do think it's as simple as that. I think both guys are very very similar from a talent standpoint, a skill set standpoint, what they're bringing to the table, uh, and what their ceiling will ultimately be in the NFL. So I don't think it comes down to like oh like this guy's better than that guy. I do think though that the age would be the uh, essentially a tiebreaker for a lot of people when it came to, comes to uh, the decision between those two players. All right, Dane, clean it up for us. That's interesting. And, and yeah, and to Fran's point, um, Stetson Bennett will be 26 in October. Um, Max Duggan turns 22 in March. So there is definitely a gap there. Uh, and, and I think Fran made several good points. I, I think that if the goal is to draft the quarterback with a higher ceiling, then you take Duggan. I, I think that's we can we can all agree on that in terms of you know ceiling. But for teams looking to draft the quarterback with the highest floor, they're going to opt for Stetson Bennett. And, you know, the guy that just won back-to-back national championships, the guy that some are arguing is the best player in Georgia history. Uh, and there, some teams might be looking at that and saying, you know, which which guy's better for our quarterback room? Um, you know, is, is it realistic that Max Duggan is really going to ascend to a, be an NFL starter? Eh, probably not. Okay, well, you know what? Let's take the guy that's going to be better in our quarterback room. So, uh, you know, he's undersized. He's 5'11", 190 pounds. Very similar to Bryce Young, actually. Uh, average arm. But his awareness of everything going on around him, uh, from the pressure to the coverage, it, it's above average. And the ball comes out clean. It comes out on time. He anticipates. Um, you know, we we know that both these guys are unbelievably tough. Uh, again, I think it's a floor ceiling argument. So, and and if you don't feel great about Duggan's ceiling, that he'll ever become that you know that guy that's going to be a starter. Give me the better backup. And, and so, you know, the guy that I know is going to help my culture, who who's going to give me uh, something during during practice, during uh, quarterback meetings. And so, um, you know, if I need him to play, I feel better about Sesson Bennett not turning the ball over and kind of being a, a Brock Purdy type of guy uh, in this draft. So, um, I, again, if you're drafting the quarterback with the highest higher ceiling, I, I, I understand why you'd go dug in. But just give me the guy that's going to be better in my quarterback room and be a better backup. I actually have a question. Do you think they're going to be viewed differently in terms of, do you think people will view Stetson Bennett as um, bringing in a more of a mind into the quarterback room and Duggan perhaps as someone that they could develop or mold? I'm not saying he'll be a starting quarterback in the NFL, but would they look at Max Duggan as more of a development prospect and Stetson Bennett as more of a brain mind kind of guy in the quarterback room i think that's probably fair right? i mean such a sets and ben has just has seen a lot more high level football now max doug is a four-year starter he's seen a lot of football too but i think in terms of uh understanding what he's reading uh from coverages and pressures um he that's on an nfl level and i think he can bring something to a quarterback room where max duggan is still in a developmental phase in a lot of those areas and we see it uh, you know, with some of his uh, some of his coverage reads, some of his downfield passing. Um, so you know, I, I think that is fair to say. I don't know if you know, Fran, if you agree or not. Yeah, I think you know, and I haven't gotten uh, too much of the lowdown on either guy from a, an intangible standpoint yet to this point. But I think at the end of the day, um, I agree with what Dane has said about in terms of Bennett and the uh, the seasoning that he brings in terms of like what he's seen so far. I mean, it, it is kind of startling to think about that, right? Like Max Duggan is twenty one right now. Stetson Bennett is going to be 26. He's 25 right now. And, and so just like the the huge difference in what that can bring, the the um, 
the aura that that brings to like a locker room and to a huddle and to an offense, right? That uh, I think that that is going to be a little bit different. Um, but you know, I, I think with both guys, you're still talking about guys in that that tier, that Brock Purdy kind of tier, where yeah, like sometimes uh, they get drafted and they become Brock Purdy, right? And then other times they get drafted and don't make it out of camp number one. Uh, and so that I think that'll be interesting with both of these guys. And, and honestly, I don't. I, age is obviously something that matter. Or it's different from team to team. Um, position by position, but for day three quarterbacks, I, I really wonder how much it matters. And I guess it does depend on what you're looking for. If you're looking at an upside guy compared to someone you project as a career backup, then age it, it, it's you know it's it's a little different and not going to be viewed uh, necessarily in the same light as you're talking about a first round quarterback or first round receiver that type of thing. It is funny he's not that much younger than Patrick Mahomes, right? He's about a year and a half younger. Obviously, he's a lot older than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, but to think of the career Patrick Mahomes has had so far, and he's not that far behind him in age. Um, Okay. Well, this is more of a discussion than uh, some of our more heated debates we've had on this segment. I have no idea where we are in terms of um, points, who's leading the way. So uh, so Dane is ahead by two. And so that's why I feel like this one wasn't as heated on my end, because I knew like with this being the final <laughs> one that I, I had no chance of catching him. Uh, the best I could do is pull within one. So while I was eliminated, I, I did not bring the same fire that, say, uh, the, the Dan Campbell Lions brought uh, on Sunday night to the Packers. <laughs> Nailing it in. <laughs> Failed it in. You're, the cow- you're like the cow- Cowboys on Sunday. Yeah, that's oh. right. Ooh, that's like know. the meanest thing you've ever said to me, by the way, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I was going to go with Dane. Oh, there you go. Yes. Perfect. I get, I get what I deserve right. on that one. I kind of didn't want to know because I didn't want that to, to um, sway my decision, but then it didn't matter. So yeah. I'm going to go with go with nice. Dane. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, uh, it, it is interesting because I don't think that uh, – you know, I don't I don't know that every team's going to agree in terms of who they're going to have higher ranked. Um, but hopefully we see both these guys at the Senior Bowl. Um, I know uh, Max Duggan's already accepted his invite. I don't believe I've seen Stetson Bennett. I, I'd be shocked he doesn't yeah. have one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I would think he now that the season's over and, you know, the kind of turn of the page, I would think he has to uh, make a decision here soon. Hopefully we see him down there. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be great uh, to be able to see him on that stage and um, you know around some of the other top quarterbacks in this draft. Well, uh, guys, this has been great as always. It's been a fun discussion every single week here during the college football season. Uh, we were we are not done with either of you. Uh, Ella will be seeing plenty of you here moving forward on the Journey of the Draft podcast. And Dane, uh, don't go anywhere because we got more to talk about with this national title game. It's time for Saturday scouting. All right, so I want to keep rolling here with this national title game discussion with Dane. Uh, we, Dane, we'll start with our game balls. I, I thought initially, I was like, oh, well, maybe we'll do our just three big takeaways from this game. Obviously, it was it was tough, right? I mean, it was a blowout from the jump. Uh, you thought maybe TCU was going to make a game of it. They make it 10-7 to 7 there uh, in the first quarter, but then it was just a boat race from that point on. And so kind of kind of tough to kind of walk away from this, having like super uh, expansive thoughts, other than that Georgia was just the dominant presence on that field. Um, but I I guess we'll, we'll go just go hand out some game balls here offensively and it's funny considering the conversation we just had i gotta give it to stetson bennett and what he did in that game just complete control complete poise from the jump what was it four total touchdowns five total touchdowns in the game for him uh, a couple on the ground a couple through the air uh and just never looked out of sync whatsoever it never looked too big for him um going up against tcu that defense uh that created a bunch of big plays last week against michigan and they could not stop 
this Georgia offense. It was the first five drives. It was four touchdowns and a field goal. Uh, and Stetson Bennett, obviously, uh, you know, the one orchestrating that offense. And I think it is uh, fair to point out that he's he's doing it without a true star receiver. I mean, he's got talent around him. Um, and Brock Bowers, obviously, is an absolute right. stud. Um, and the strong run game, strong offensive line. So I'm not saying he's uh, there, it's talent deficient around him, but he doesn't have that true number one guy um, at, at the receiver position. And, you know, he's still uh, and credit to uh, to Munkin as well, calling the plays. Yep. Um, I mean, I think an NFL team would be crazy not to you know try to go after him uh, with, with what he's shown the last two years. But yeah, give Bennett all the credit. Um, I, I think that he certainly, you know, uh, established his name uh, in that program's history um, after last year. And then he decided to come back and do it again. And that's exactly what he did. So, um, you know, what he did uh, against Ohio State and in the semifinal game and then against TCU, uh, just a all around uh, pretty remarkable performance from the quarterback in this year's playoff. Uh, do you have a a guy you wanted to hand the game ball out to? You feel the obviously a bunch of guys contributed to this win for the Bulldogs. Well, you know what? Honestly, we're going to talk a lot about Georgia here, so I'm gonna. It's it's going to be a very pro Georgia podcast. Yeah, I think so. Uh, right, des- deservedly so. But I do want to give TCU a little bit of love here. Uh, just just to uh, you know, talk about them just for a second. Uh, Steve Avila uh, at guard, uh, I think, was the one player on that offense uh, for the Horn Frogs who I thought played above average, um, especially considering who he was facing on that Georgia defensive line. Uh, you know, we've talked about Avila before, big body blocker, heavy hands, can control the point of attack, more of a phone booth guy. But I, I think against Georgia, he showed he's got some functional movement, some body control. Um, I, I think when teams look at this tape, it's only going to help the argument that he belongs in the top 100 picks. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week on the preview podcast in terms of uh, that matchup there between he and Jalen Carter, and I thought Avila held up very, very well. We didn't hear too much from Jalen Carter over the course of the game, uh, and not every single rep was a one-on-one between those two guys, right? And I'm sure they gave him help whenever possible, but I think when you look at Avila, uh, I, I said this to you uh, in the past, I said it to Trevor last week, dude, he, he looks like an NFL starter all day to me. Now, we could talk about high, how high level of a starter, and you can get into that yeah. conversation, of course, but uh, to me, like, that's a, that's a very useful player for an NFL offense uh, going into the next level. So I'm excited about Steve Avila. Good to see uh, him have that game. I'm glad you brought him to the table for some recognition. Uh, let's now go over to the other side of the football. Game ball defense. I'll let you uh, start things off here. Yeah, and I think this was a, uh, as a unit, the entire Georgia defense played very, very well. Um, I, and I'm going to give the leader of that defense, um, you know, my my game ball, and that's Christopher Smith. Uh, and, and this is almost like a career recognition award, too, because how much of an impact he's made at Georgia, especially these two national titles. And in this game, um, the stats don't necessarily jump out at you, but he, I thought he played really well. And he set the tone in the first quarter with that forced fumble. And it's even better when you see when you watch the All-22, you can see where he started from, the speed, the angle, coming downhill, um, and, and forcing that fumble against Dar- uh, Darius Davis, who we know is a legit 4-3 uh, type of athlete. Uh, who's holding the ball in the wrong arm, uh, but credit to Christopher Smith for knocking it out and uh, get, getting that turnover. Uh, that kind of set the tone early about what this, what type of game this is going to be uh, for the Georgia, Georgia defense against the, the TCU offense. Uh, I'm going to continue with that Georgia secondary. How about Javon Bullard, uh, the sophomore uh, who plays in the slot as that star uh, for that the Kirby Smart defense? 
two picks and a fumble recovery, three turnovers uh, for Javon Bullard against the Horned Frogs. You know, you can't ask for more than that. Uh, he would have been a guy that if, if Ross or I had picked him for the upset special, he would have hit for us uh, last week in our in our pick six segment. Uh, Javon Bullard, uh, a guy we will be talking about in the future. That, and I guess that was one of the more fun parts about watching the second half was you just almost have to like embrace, okay, let's see who are the guys we're going to be talking about next year. Because you know, a bunch of those guys uh, that have been backups or freshmen, mm-hmm. sophomores, uh, and Bullard is not one of those guys. He is a starter uh, on that defense. But who are some of the players we'll be talking about in the future? Javon Bullard's going to be one of those guys. Well, and it's weird because TCU actually might have more draft picks than Georgia in April, which seems weird, but it's because so many of Georgia's key players are not draft eligible. They're freshmen and sophomores, and they'll be back next year. So um, you know, as I was mapping out my my top 25 players, top 25 prospects in this it, from that game, it was weird because in my top 15 or top 14, it was like even seven to seven. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it'll be very even when we look back in April, who more horn frogs drafted or more bulldogs drafted. But again, it's because their their young studs um, are a big part of this team. Uh, another player for Georgia that stood out in my one play takeaway, uh, Adonai Mitchell, uh, the wide receiver. Ben highlighted him in his preview uh, for the game last week as a, a player that has always come up big in big moments for this team and, and missed a bunch of time uh, here this season, but came back last week against Ohio State, had a bunch of big plays in that game, and then shows up. Final drive, well, there's, what was it? It was like under 50 seconds left uh, in the second quarter. It's 31-7 already. He gets a one-handed touchdown in the corner of the end zone, both feet in, uh, to make it 38-7 going into halftime. Uh, Adane Mitchell, uh, I, I wanted to give him my one-play takeaway. That was a ridiculous catch, and it, it's, it's a small sample size, but a lot to be excited about with that kid moving down the road as well. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, for my one-play takeaway, I'm going to go back to the first touchdown of the game. It was that 21-yard keeper by Bennett. Uh, my eyes were locked on left tackle Broderick Jones on that play. He got out in space, engulfed uh, the reading linebacker, and just opened up a clear lane for Bennett to go. Uh, uh, Jones, uh, his ability in space, the movement skills, uh, just they're they're awesome. Uh, And you can see it clearly on that play, um, you know, the way he was moving in space. That's why some think he's going to be the first tackle drafted because of the upside that he brings. Um, and uh, the, just the overall athleticism. So, um, yeah, Broderick Jones, I, he, I thought he had a good game, and that, that play definitely stuck in my mind. Uh, it's crazy to this point that we have not mentioned another player that I thought about giving the game ball to, but it makes sense that we're talking about him here, and that's uh, our future studs, guys that aren't eligible here for the 2023 NFL draft but are eligible for 2024 and beyond. Brock Bowers, just ridiculous again uh, in this game. The sophomore tight end for Georgia uh, showed up, Early, showed up often. He ended up with, uh, what was it? It was well over 150 yards receiving. I don't even have the final number in front of me, um, but showed up, got into the end zone a couple times. Brock Bowers just uh, had one of the most one of the most dominant performances and one of the, the high, most high-volume performances for uh, his entire season last night against TCU. Yeah, he. I mean, it's it, 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 pretty soon, you know, in six months, we'll be talking about Brock Bowers a lot more, and it'll be really interesting, the tight end conversations we have uh, you know, comparing him to Kyle Pitts, to TJ Hawkinson, to, you know, the tight ends, you know, we'll see this, this group, uh, you know, Michael Mayer and uh, Darnell Washington, these guys, where they end up being drafted. Um, you know, where, where does Brock Bowers fall in that? Does he belong in the top five, top 10, top 15? Um, and how do you, where does he rank compared to the other top prospects next year? So it will have a lot of fun conversations, uh, with that for my future stud. 
Um, I, again, this Georgia defense so are loaded. Yeah, so there's so many guys you can go with. Um, number 11 kept flashing for me. And I, so I'm like, all right, I got to look this guy up. He's a true freshman. Uh, <laughs> 6'2", 225 pound linebacker from North Carolina. Really, really talented. He was consistently in the backfield. He's barely played this year. He's got like a handful of tackles, but uh, he was consistently getting to the backfield, creating disruption. Um, so a guy that uh, we won't be talking about uh, too much for another few years. But Jalen Walker uh, is, is a guy to, to keep on the in the back of your mind, at least for the future. Uh, working back real quickly to Brock Bowers. If I told you um, over under and not where he's going to be in mock drafts, because I think it's it's pretty safe to assume that when uh, the, the two early mock drafts come out and, uh, you know, the day after the draft or May 1st or June 1st, Brock Bowers is going to be in the top 10, uh, top 12 of every mock draft. I, I really I think that's fair to say. But by the time we get to next April, if that's when he decides to come out, and it would be for 2024 uh, as a junior, 20, we'll say 24 and a half. Like, do you think that Brock Bowers is a top 25 pick when it's all said and done? Because it's not like a Kyle Pitts or, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts was, uh, you know, what, like 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", and ran 4'3", and, and Bowers is going to run fast, but he's not the same kind of build. Uh I'll be interested to see where we're talking about Bowers when it's all said and done in terms of his overall draft slot. Clearly going to be in the the top 50, the top 40, maybe the back end of round one. I just wonder, are we going to be talking about him in the top 10? Are we going to talk about him top 12, top 15 when it's all said and done? I really think so. Um, uh, I'll I'll, I'll say it right now. I'll be shocked if he does not go in the top half of round one Hmm. just because of what he brings as a pass catcher. And he is a good blocker, not necessarily – as a guy you want lined up in line 100% of the plays. I mean, you want him in the slot. You want him on the edge. But on the move, he's a really good blocker. And, you know, just studying Georgia's defense, studying, um, uh, you know, that that uh, uh, Kenny McIntosh, there are a lot of plays where uh, Brock Bowers is helping create room to run because of what he's doing as a blocker. So I don't think that he's going to be pigeonholed as just a receiver. Um, and, yeah, when you look at next year's class, it's a really deep group. Um, you know, just looking at the skill players with Marvin Harrison, um, and and some of these other guys, but I think Brock Bowers, I I don't, I'm not going to say he's a top five lock, a top 10 lock, uh, necessarily, but I will be very surprised if he does not go in the top half of round one. With him being so young, I haven't like done the deep dive. I haven't studied him in complete isolation, just watching him on TV and, you know, from, from a peripheral Mm -hmm. standpoint, I don't have like, I didn't have like a comp written down, but just talking, watching the game and talking about it with friends last night, uh, shout out to, uh, to DFOP, Tyler Aston, um, brought up a, a Dallas Clark comp. And I was like, oh, wow, like yeah. that is that is money. And I love that. And I wrote it down immediately in my sheet. And I will probably be using that uh, at least moving forward until I until I study him uh, this summer. But that one makes a ton of sense in terms of his like size and movement and potential usage in the NFL. Clark was so, so productive uh, over the course of his career with the Colts. Yeah, no doubt. I like that a lot. And Because, again, Brock Bowers is probably six, three and three quarters and two hundred and four. Yep maybe 40 pounds and yep. 200 somewhere between 235 and 245 um and so he's a little bit undersized compared to your more traditional wide tight ends that we see in the NFL but uh yeah the, the athleticism he brings um and just the the different ways you could use him i i think it's a, a a kind of a modern day tight end and Dallas Clark maybe he was a little bit ahead of head of the game uh, of you know the era that he played with i i'll be just fascinating to see Especially if, like, 
Kyle Pitts has another year next year. And not that you would like um, are going to make this decision based solely off that, but right. we've seen TJ Hawkinson go high in the draft and then a team will be willing to move mm -hmm. on after that. We saw Kyle Pitts go in the top five where he was clearly like the number one prospect or number two prospect in that class overall, regardless of position value. You're like, yeah, you feel best about Kyle Pitts moving on. It's just like the risk of that hit, that pick not quite hitting. If it doesn't reach that point, then is it worth it? I wonder how much of that conversation will be had uh, when you get to a Brock Bowers. There's no uh, questioning the talent, but you know, at that position with how hard it is to thread that needle, uh, it will be fascinating to discuss. We got plenty of time uh, to talk through that when it comes to Brock Bowers moving into the NFL. Uh, a big weekend here when it comes to the NFL draft, not because of the end of the college football season, but also uh, with week 18 in the books in the NFL, we now have top 18 picks uh, solidified for the NFL draft. And uh, huge news. I, I was watching the game. I know you were. You were live tweeting it. Uh, the, uh, the Chicago Bears and the Houston Texans. The Texans going up against the Colts. The Bears going up against Minnesota. The Texans doing everything they could to go back. They win that game. They go for two. They secure the victory. And the number two pick and the Chicago Bears move up to number one. Uh, just huge, huge drama there in week 18. Unbelievable. And I mean, for the Texans, just, uh, you know, Lovey Smith on the way out, he knows he's on the way out. Uh, he, he had his team playing and uh, a little bit of a parting gift from him uh, to, to, uh, to, to the franchise. It's just, I, I, if you're the bears, you go into this off season with so much cap room to spend over a hundred million dollars, which is almost more than double what the, the next uh, highest team is in terms of cap room. Um, and, and money to spend. You have the number one pick. Uh, you have I think eight picks overall. You, you did trade away that 32nd pick uh, to the Steelers for Chase Claypool, which uh, I, I don't know that they would do again if they, they had a chance to have a do-over. Uh, but they still have another second round pick uh, in their draft inventory. So the Bears are sitting nice to make a lot of big changes here. And so the question becomes, what do they do at number one? Is it as simple as they're just going to take the best offer? Uh, that they get. Um, and, you know, what what type of offer will that be? Will it be anything like what the 49ers did to trade up for Trey Lance or some of these big quarterback moves we've seen in the past? Um, I, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, just because, you know, these quarterbacks aren't universally loved. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, uh, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. Um, and, and it just it's a really interesting uh, draft this year with the Bears now picking at number one. And if you're the Bears, uh, I, I don't think you want to move too far back because you still want to get Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. In my opinion, I think there's a big gap between that tier and the next tier. Now, maybe the Bears disagree. Maybe they feel good about Tyree Wilson and Miles Murphy and whoever else you have in that, that next tier. But uh, you don't want to trade too far back. So that's part of this as well. Um, and then, you know, you're, we're going to hear this a lot. Let, let's just put it out there now. Some will be saying that they should absolutely draft Ray Young at number one. And, I was asked about this. Yep. Yeah, and, and look, Ryan Poles did not draft, uh, you know, general manager coming over from Kansas City. Um, you know, this will be a second offseason now with the Bears. He did not draft Justin Fields. Um, now, this is not this is not the same scenario as the Cardinals drafting Kyler Murray one year after drafting Josh Rosen in the first round. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons. I think Justin Fields, with the promise that he showed this year, the development that he showed, um, he's a fan favorite. Not that that should necessarily factor in too much, but it, it's still a factor. Um, I, I, you know, but I, you know, we just don't know exactly how, uh, you know, that general manager in front office feels about, uh, Justin Fields compared to say a guy like Bryce Young. It, it really makes it an interesting discussion. And then some will even tell you that, 
even if you do really like Justin Fields, you should still draft the quarterback, which we've never really seen a team, uh, you know, at least in the last 20 years, uh, you know, in this is this era, we've never seen a team really do that where, you know, we've seen it in other positions where just, you know, give me all the pass rushers, you know, give me all, let's create competition. Like, give me all the receivers, um, you know, but we've never really seen him do it at quarterback. Obviously only one plays at, at the time, at a time, but in terms of creating a, a competition and feeling pretty good that the guy that you're not going to go with is still someone you can get value for on, on the open market. So it, it's, it really makes for an interesting discussion at number one, because there are really so many different ways they could go. If they do end up trading, there should be a lot of teams interested, whether, uh, you know, it's Houston at number two, looking to move up one spot ahead, uh, you know, before another team moves up the Colts at number four, it feels like the Colts have to draft the quarterback. Um, and, and so do they want to move up, uh, three spots to make sure they get their guy? Uh, you have the Raiders at number seven who, uh, you know, feel like they're in, in the midst of, uh, about to make a quarterback, uh, big quarterback change for their franchise moving forward. Carolina at nine, um, you know, you, you've got a couple of these teams in the, in this mix that, you know, in Detroit possibly at six, um, a couple other teams that could be, uh, also knocking on the door. So it's just a really interesting dynamic with the bears now owning that top overall pick. That's the thing. I say, if you're Chicago, having the pick now as opposed to having number two, where that left, that really kind of would shut the door there. Having yeah. the number one pick and saying, you know, we hold all of the cards now. We really can go any direction that we want. I think it's not, it's, yes, it is. Obviously, it's a Bryce Young versus Justin Fields discussion at a certain, to a certain extent, but also from an organizational standpoint, as you're rebuilding the team and Ryan Poles is rebuilding this team in his own image, obviously with Matt Eberflus involved as well as the head coach, but the two of those guys, you are trying to understand where are you in the team building process. And Justin Fields is going into year three uh, of his contract, which means that after next season, you have to decide, okay, are we uh, on the precipice of signing him to an extension, the fifth year option, all of that stuff comes into play and if you don't know if you're not confident that hey you know what we're going to reshape this entire offensive line and this entire receiving core all to put ourselves in position where we will know the answer to that question are we fully 1000 committed to justin fields by the end of next year they might already feel that that's the case and if that's the case then yeah they will trade out or uh you know select will anderson there or jalen carter and move on but i do think that that's this at least leaves the door open until they say otherwise that you can say hey you know what the clock restarts when we take a bryce young and then you flip a justin fields and uh mike tannenbaum put put this out immediately on sunday and said look uh there is gonna be a long discussion of whether or not to to make that call and i think that they they're there has to be right um yeah. i think we, we all love what we've seen from justin fields on the back end of this year uh down the stretch after that that rough start here in the first few games of the season but i don't think it's like a slam dunk to say oh yeah like uh, that's that's definitely going to happen now anytime you're picking number one you have to have that discussion no doubt and if you throw on justin fields tape and eliminate all of the run plays just watch uh the dropbacks where he is not uh you know taking off or any quarterback design runs I, it's still very, very mixed. Um, you know, he, he is, you know, there, he makes some really impressive throws at times, but mixed in between there, you see a lot of poor decisions where he's just not seeing it fast enough. Um, he's still hesitating a little bit. Uh, the accuracy is good, but not, uh, not, you know, at a high level necessarily. So, uh, as a passer, there are still plenty of reasons to be a little skeptical uh, of Justin Fields. Um, so, you know, it, it's not a slam dunk. Like you said, it, it's not, 
as easy as saying, uh, you know, he's clearly the guy moving forward. It's it, it's something that, and in fact, and again, factor in that Ryan Poles did not draft Justin Fields. Um, we don't know necessarily, you know, behind closed doors, um, you know, what it's like, uh, you know, between games, how that dynamic has worked with the coaching staff and fields and front office. And so there's a lot of unknown here at this point, and it's, it's going to make for a lot of intriguing draft discussions as we go. I, I, I will say that clearly if we're just going to, you know, if we have a pie chart and, you know, divide up, you know, percentages of what's going to happen, clearly the biggest pie, uh, the piece of the pie is going to be a, a trade out that, that seems like the most likely scenario that could happen. But it's not 100%. You know, you can't put it at 100% that that is what will end up happening. You you have to at least live a, leave a, the door open for uh, some of these other scenarios that could happen, including maybe they stay put and, and take a defensive player. Maybe they don't get the draft or the uh, this, this offer that they want to move back, and they don't want to miss out on one of those two uh, defensive guys, Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, they, they view them that highly as, uh, you know, pieces on defense that you can build around and you don't want to move back to pick number seven because you just don't feel good about who's going to be left for you. So uh, everything is on the table at this point in terms of possibilities. I, I think it'd be, it'd be crazy to eliminate any of those at this point. Yeah. And so, you know, by the, in terms of like the uh, NFL information highway, uh, the way that things will work, obviously, we've got the the all-star game circuit here in a couple of weeks that really kicks in the high gear with the Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl. But it was the it was combine time when the uh, the rumors started to pick up about, oh, well, yeah. the, the the Cardinals might trade Josh Rosen and select Kyler Murray, number one. Like, don't rule that out. Don't rule that out. And so my guess is by the time we get to Indianapolis, that uh, some of that might be more crystallized. Like I said, Chicago might just come out publicly right now and, and squash that immediately and say, no, 1,000% Justin Fields is going to be our starting quarterback, but that'll be something to watch here uh, in the next few weeks for sure. Uh, real quickly, just to kind of round out the top 10, Dan, I don't know if you have any other big takeaways here from this draft order, but Arizona at number three, they've moved on uh, from their head coach and general manager, so an entire new regime out in the desert. Indianapolis at number four, obviously they have a new head coach. Seattle Seahawks, a playoff team with the number five pick. Another uh, near playoff team, the Detroit Lions at number six, they have the pick from the LA Rams. That's going to be there in the top 10. The Las Vegas Raiders at number seven. Atlanta Atlanta Falcons at number eight. Carolina Panthers at number nine. And then the Eagles have the number 10 pick uh, coming over from the New Orleans Saints. Just any other takeaways there in terms of just how the top 10 shook out? Um, you know, I, I think that Arizona making it all the way up to three, um, you know, that's just it's it's not a good roster. And so they have needs up and down uh, that depth chart. Um, you know, it's seeing a couple playoff teams here with top 10 picks with Seattle uh with the Eagles that's just uh I mean money in the bank that's what exactly uh what you want from an organization uh organizational standpoint um uh, still playing deep into January or in the middle of January uh but knowing you have a top 10 pick to make your team better um really it just comes down to uh you know how 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 many quarterbacks do we think go top 10 now that we have the order um, how many should go top 10, how many actually will go top 10 and which order will it be? Um, you know, we've talked all along how this is a, a talented yet flawed quarterback group where you can pull holes in each one of these guys. Uh, I CJ Stroud, you know, kind of had a mic drop, uh, even though it wasn't a loss in his final game against Georgia, uh, assuming, uh, CJ Stroud hasn't officially declared as of, as of right now, uh, you know, Tuesday, uh, afternoon. Um, but you know, I, I think that we all assume he's going to, and we, compared to Bryce Young, compared to Will Levis, compared to Anthony Richardson, it will be interesting throughout the process. Um, I, I don't think any of Will Levis has not, um, 
accepted a senior bowl invite. It doesn't sound like he will. So mm-hmm. we might not see any of these guys until the combine. Um, and, and then that'll be, I think, a really hot topic at the combine is, you know, what do these guys do to differentiate themselves uh, among the rest of the quarterbacks and, you know, how do the pecking order shape up? So uh, the top 10, you know, we're looking at a lot of a lot of teams that could potentially use a quarterback. You know, Seattle's interesting with Geno Smith uh, coming off such a, a big year. Do they potentially look at a quarterback they could groom for the future Atlanta? They just drafted Desmond Ritter in the third round, and he played pretty well down the stretch, uh, enough to stop Atlanta from drafting a quarterback. If the right one is there, I, it, it, it's uh, it's hard to say for sure. So this is a uh, a top 10 that's really interesting with these quarterbacks. Yeah, it'll be uh, fascinating to see it play out. Obviously, the veterans will have a big part in that as well with how the free agent market pans out, and we'll get a better sense of that uh, as we get to Indianapolis as well. Uh, the last thing I want to get you here with here, Dane, uh, we've had a bunch of underclassmen announcements and guys that have uh, announced that they're going to stay, some that they're going to go. I think the guys that are staying, we can kind of save that for, for a later discussion. Um, you know, Jared Verse obviously being a huge name, a loss for this draft class, a huge gain for college football and for the Florida State Seminoles. But uh, one big name um, in the last few days that has declared for the draft officially, that's Michigan Corn. DJ Turner uh, this is a guy that we've talked about a number of times here on the pod. I know Ben uh, Fennel is really, really high on him as well. Uh, thoughts on DJ Turner throwing his hat into the ring here for this NFL draft. Yeah, when I did my top 50 update back in November, um, I really wanted to get him in there and it just it didn't work. Um, it, but I the next day I came out with the guys I just missed and he was part of that group. Um, I, he's just a really competitive player and you see the speed. He's going to run really well at the combine. You should test very well. He has redirect skills. Uh, and I like how physical that he plays. Um, now he's not a big corner and he's he's worked really hard to add weight and he's still not a very big guy. Um, but he is uh, tougher than he looks. He does a great job controlling uh, his athleticism, his gears to stay on top of routes. Um, I think he he does walk that fine line of, of making receivers uncomfortable uh, without you know just totally clobbering them. Now he will attract penalties here and there. Um, Want to see him a little bit better as a run defender. Uh, he gets a little over eager at times um, and just does not uh, break down uh, correctly and uh, loses balance uh, when he's firing downhill. But uh, this is a guy that uh, can excel in press man. Um, I I think he matches up well with NFL receivers. So um, he's going to be in the mix to be a, uh, you know, top two round type of corner. Um, And so I'm a big fan of DJ, uh, DJ Turner. Michigan's had a really interesting week of guys going back with Blake Corum and, uh, you know, but they've all, but they just lost Mozzie Smith, lost Mike Morris and and DJ Turner. So several, uh, yeah. Yeah, several key guys from that defense, um, and Turner was definitely a big part of that. What are your thoughts on Mozzie Smith overall? I should have included him with this list. Uh, Mozzie Smith, the, the nose tackle there for Michigan. He was what? He was number yeah. one on the freak list this summer, right? Yep. Uh, Mozzie Smith entering this draft as well. Yeah, and he was a team captain. He was in the news for the wrong reasons. Uh, you know, they pulled over with a you know loaded gun and all that, and uh, back in uh, last season. And so, you know, it, I don't think it's something that's necessarily going to hurt him too much. Um, you know, I think just speaking to people at Michigan, they just rave about his character and um, you know how he processes things. But um, on the field, I mean, this is a guy that's he's hard to move, even against double teams. Uh, he's a hard guy to move. Uh, powerful at contact. Uh, but he also has the athletic traits that most guys 320 pounds don't have. Uh, and that's why he was number one on the freaks list, not just because of his power and you know how heavy handed that he plays, but also the way he can move. So I don't I don't think he's a first round lock by any means, but I do think somewhere in the top 50 Mozzie. 
Smith uh, going to come off the board. And so, um, you know, when you look at these uh, the defensive tackles in this class, obviously it starts with Jalen Carter. Brian Brze is, you know, somewhere in that probably top half around one uh, conversation. And then there's a little bit of a drop off. And then that's where the conversation gets. OK, is it Mozzie Smith? Is it Siaki Ika from Baylor? Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's a pretty good defensive tackle group this year in the first few rounds. Uh, it'll be uh, something we'd certainly talk about, this defensive line group overall. Just a really, really strong group. Dane, uh, thanks so much once again for joining us here for the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. All right, so great stuff there from Dane Brugler. Now let's just wrap this up really quickly. Uh, our longtime listeners will know we have our weekly competition, Ross Tucker and I, our pick six competition. And I told you after last week that was going to be the last one talking about this national title game. I came into the game uh, with an eight-point lead, and so Ross needed a lot to go his way, uh, would certainly need the upset to be able to hit for him uh, in order to, uh, to take, a, take a lead here. It didn't go that well. I wanted to give a little bit of an update just to kind of put a ribbon on our pick six pick six segment for the year. I went in up by eight points. Uh, the first one-pointer, over under 106.6 receiving yards for TCU star wide receiver Quentin Johnson. Uh, he was well under that number, uh, so I got a point there. So now I'm up by nine. Uh, another one here, more rushing yards in the game, Max Duggan or Stetson Bennett. Ross took Duggan. I took Bennett. I got the point there. Uh, another one, which number is higher? TCU's longest play from scrimmage or Georgia's leading receiver in the game. Uh, We both lost on that one. We both took TCU. Uh, Georgia uh, absolutely dominated uh, in this game. Obviously, Brock Bowers uh, completely blowing the door off that one. Um, Next one here. Which number is higher, the margin of victory for either team or total tackles from Christopher Smith, the safety for Georgia? I took the margin of victory. I ended up getting a point on that one. We named the upset special as picking a defensive player to either score a touchdown or record multiple turnovers in the game. We talked about uh, a player there uh, th- that was able to hit on that earlier this uh, in this segment, Javon Bullard. Um, unfortunately, neither of us picked Javon Bullard. We've picked uh, Javon Dumas-Johnson uh, and Kaylee Ringo. Those guys did not hit. Neither of us got any points. I picked Georgia to win the game. So I ended up winning uh, by a total of 13 points uh, here in the college football season. So uh, for the second time in three years, I win the rubber match. Uh, I beat Ross in our season-long battle on pick six. A lot of love for Ross for joining us weekly here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. The, I will say he did beat me. He got one more pick em right than I did in the rest of the season. All the other categories, uh, I was able to beat him handily uh, or uh, just uh, by the slightest of margins. But um, yeah, I come away with the win. And so I just wanted to gloat a little bit before we wrapped up the show. Ross wanted us to put a ribbon uh, on that segment. Thanks so much to everybody out there for another edition here of the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll be back later this week. Ben Fennell will be back. We'll be c- talk through some of the other things we talked took away from this national title game and start to spin this forward. We're going to have uh, the underclassmen deadline. That happens next week. We've got all-star games starting to kick up into full swing here uh, as we get ready and get closer and closer for the NFL draft. And so uh, we'll be back later this week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.